Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, why don't we just give him a good hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Our God is awesome. Amen. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Heaven's Jubilee. Amen. We're looking forward to that time. And I don't think we have to wait to get to heaven to have a good time in the Lord. I think we can have it right here in this service today. I pray today that the Lord Jesus will just bless you in a great and mighty way. Amen. Anoint his word to our hearts. Let this word just be real to us today. And God manifest his glory in our midst. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer today. Lord Jesus, we love you today. And how thankful it is, Lord, that we can sing these great songs of Zion. And we look with anticipation, Lord, for that great meeting in the air. And for the resurrection of the saints throughout the ages. Lord, we got a lot to look forward to. Father, there's more that has went by the way of the grave than there is alive and remain. And Lord, we know through the seven ages that you'll raise them up all the way back to the first age. As we know that the first, the Old Testament has already been raised up. They ascended there with you, O God, as you ascended. That day when Jesus ascended resurrected Lord we we thank you for what you you've done in the type that is laying there in the scripture but we are looking for our resurrection we are looking Lord to be the people of the change the people who will be standing on our feet changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye Lord as we're looking to your word today I pray that you would anoint it to our hearts there are no no doubt many needs that are here, Lord, sick that needs to be healed, and you're the healer. We've seen you move on the scene before, and we know that you're here to do the same, Father. We know you're unlimited in your power of restoration and healing, so we pray that you'll restore and heal and deliver your people. Oh, God, and as we would open up thy word, knowing it is the word of life, And it is God himself painted on a page. We would ask you to send the spirit to the heart of your servant, Lord. We get a context that would be appropriate for this hour. Hear the prayers of your servants, Lord, as we pray together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for his glory. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. We're just looking to what the Lord has in store for us. Appreciated the songs and the songs of worship this morning. And uh, now let's just enter into the Word of God. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 18, and we're going to read from verse 10 as we look into the Word today. And I'm going to be speaking uh, from two passages of Scripture, one found in Genesis, one found in Joel. And I'm going to be speaking, I will restore saith the Lord. Amen. I, I tell you, I, I would just uh, look to the Lord to restore me in every, every aspect. Whatever the situation is in your life, God's able to restore that. Amen. And to bring to, whether it's health, he'll restore health. Amen. Whether, whether it's uh, strength and old age, I just um, 
uh, received a greeting today from one of our pastors up in New Brunswick, Brother Ivan Carr. He turned 93 years old today and still preaching the gospel, still pastoring. Amen. It gives me inspiration to go on. Not old after all. Amen. But anyway, you know, all of those things, God's a God who restores. And you can look for restoration in your life, whether it's your family, whether it's your broken relationships, no matter what it is, God is the restorer. And we look to him to bring restoration. Genesis chapter 18, verse 10. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of surety bear a child which am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Amen. Turn with me to Joel chapter 2, verse 23. Certainly, I believe we're living in, in an appointed time. God has some very special things he's doing in the hour that we're living. Joel chapter 2, verse 23. Be glad then, you children of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God. For he hath given you the former rain moderately and will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And the floors shall be full of wheat and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, and the pommel worm, my great army which I sent among you. And you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that it dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I'm in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else and my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants, upon the handmaids in those days, will I pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before that great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord has said and the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Amen. God bless you as you are seated. May he add his blessings to the reading of his word and, and here as we just look into his word that he'll just make it real to you today as we, we look here into the promises of the scriptures, and you know this is um, this is something that God had spoke to to uh, um, Peter there on the day of Pentecost, 
And uh, so today, as, as we come and, and to this part of the service, part of what I want to bring today is, is sort of a review of some of the things that I preached, so it's helped us to bring this whole thought into perspective. And uh, so looking at the, the first scripture that I read of Sarah, we want to remember that it is prophecy by type. God showing types and shadows and therefore prophesying. The, sec- the second scripture is, is filled with symbolism and prophecy. So again, there would be things in the book of Joel that would be spoken in symbolism. And that symbolism itself is prophecy. Same thing with the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is a symbolic book. And so with it being a symbolic book, it's symbols in prophecy, something that God hid in parabolic form that would be reserved for another time. And so in Joel's prophecy, there is a barren nation of Israel that has been laid bare by four insects. And she becomes fruitful again by a process of restoration. However, Peter saw more of it than just a restoration of Israel. And because he saw it as the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, he declared that this is that that the prophet Joel spoke of. So we know that this prophecy applies spiritually to the Gentiles as well. And it is more than just natural insects, but, but it's demonic powers of Satan that has been used to strip the church of its fruitfulness and power. In the, in the last of the Bible, there are four horse riders of the seven seals, and they are the same as these four insects that ate down the Jewish church, and they have eaten down the Gentile church, which is spiritual Israel. And that's the bad news, but the good news is that God is restoring the church to its original glory by pouring out his spirit upon all flesh. So by baptism after baptism of the Holy Ghost, you know, God is bringing restoration. And so, you know, however, like Israel was stripped and ravaged by these four devourers, the church too would be stripped and of its spiritual virtues and carried away in the Babylon. And these four devourers are depicted in the book of Revelation as a, a white and a red and a, black and a black and a pale horses and, and their rider death. And they, they would seal or cut away God's promises from the church by stripping the, her of the leaves and the bark and the fruit and the branches. Now, even as Israel, the church was hauled away in chains, As Israel was, the church was hauled away and changed, not physically, but spiritually to mystery Babylon. And so like Ezra and Haggai and Nehemiah of old, there has come a call in the last day to leave Babylon, to come out of her, my people, to return to the promised land of God's word and to restore back true worship to its original glory. And Haggai would prophesy and said, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former. And for, for, of course, we know that is true for the, the, this temple of this bride body will be raptured. Amen. So the glory will be greater than the former glory. 
So the word coming out that comes out of like Revelation 18 and 19 or Revelation 18 saying, come out of her, my people, return to the homeland, come back to the promised land of God's word, for I will restore, saith the Lord. He, uh, he gives a warning. It's a word that, that should echo in our hearts today that we should come out of her, my people. You know, because those that are taken with her will, be, will, uh, will take of her plagues. And it's not just a physical removal of coming out of Babylonian systems, but it, is also, uh, it also requires a purging of, of Babylonian teachings, of the, of the ideas of man, of what, what we picked up in denominational theory, and, and coming back to the pure word of God. But it's more than just a restoration of the word. It is also a restoration of the power of God. And so you see, um, of course, you know, with that, we know that Joel 25 told us that, or 225 told us what the pommel worm left, the canker worm is eating, and what the caterpillar left, the locust is eating, and just right on down until, you know, after bug after bug came and ate upon the church until it was left nothing but a stump. And this is the way that it's been down through the church ages. That what the Lutherans left or the Romans left, the Lutherans ate. And what the Methodists ate and, uh, and then they left, well, the Pentecostals eating until she's down to a stump. Amen. But, you know, and of course, as we, as we know, Brother Branham told us that this is the same as the seals because those four horse riders are the same devourers, just a different symbol being used. That would, that would devour Israel and take her out of her homeland would also devour the church and take her out of her homeland and, and make her an unfruitful and a barren branch. And so, but God made a promise. He's not going to leave us where he found us in a stripped and devoured condition. For, but he gives a word that I will restore, saith the Lord. Now, Brother Branham, in restoration of the bride tree, he pictured the big tree, and he said, let's picture her. And I want you to get a real picture of what the tree originally was. And he said, this, I picture this big tree of God's tree. It's bearing nine spiritual gifts. They are healing the sick. They are speaking in tongues. They are casting out devils. They are doing great works. They are preaching and, and the unadulterated word of God. No denomination to tie them down. They're free. They're doing a great work. Now, he said, if God brought forth his first branch out of that vine, and it was a Pentecostal branch with power, visions, revelations, healings, sanctification, Holy Spirit, the next branch will be the same thing. Certainly will. Every time that vine puts forth the branch, it'll be exactly like the first one at the first place. 
So God planted a church on the day of Pentecost, but here comes the bugs from hell to eat it down. And it's shown in the first church as an antichrist spirit, as a white horse rider, a spirit that is so deceptive that it comes though as, as, a, as if it's the spirit of Christ, you know, with a righteous thing, but it wants to close up the promises of the book from the people. They would actually begin to seal away the mysteries of the book, the truths of the Bible, the, the inheritance of the saints. And the, until it would strip the church down, until it would actually become the Catholic church, a dignified group. Now, of course, Joel uh, describes him as a worm. Amen. So this little devil... Little devil sitting there with two horns, setting out like front, out front like a grasshopper, you know, and his little greedy teeth. Then the first, the palm of wormy come in to eat off brotherly love. Now here he comes in this way to to eat off brotherly love. God told the first church, "I have somewhat against you because you have lost something." You have lost your first love. I mean, we're hardly out of the gate with the first church age. We still have Paul as the messenger of that age. They are original grain, wheat seed. But God would say, but there's something that ain't right. There's somewhere that you have relaxed your grip. There is somewhere that you, you are now become slothful and backing away from the promise of God. You're failing somewhere. You're already starting into decay because you lost that passion. You lost that drive. You lost your first love for me. Now, God told that first church, I have somewhat against you. And Brother Branham would bring it down and he said, you lost that love that you once had for them good old-fashioned Holy Ghost meetings. And you kind of begin to slide, slide backwards into that formal, um, come in with our Father. Nonsense, he says. So you see, this is what made them bitter. Notice it's the lukewarmness that Laodicea has to fight. Amen. That will make you bitter. Are you with me? Amen. It'll make you in a backslidden condition, cold and formal. You see, the bitterness started growing in and it creeped right in. And the whole deal was losing brotherly love because they wanted to make a better church. So they kind of looked down on the poor in the church. And, you know, they wanted to be a little more affluent and more presentable to, to the wealthy and, and, and may, you know, attract a better class of people. Let me tell you, there is no better class of people than the born again children of the living God. Amen. Better class is not known by the clothes that you have or the fine building that you have. Or that's not what better class is. The better class is the class that is born again of the Spirit of God. And Brother Branham said, I want to be identified with people who feel the move of the Spirit. Who can say, who believes in divine healing. Who believes in the miraculous. Amen. 
But right there, they had something dignified. And, and first thing you know, it gravitates to the Roman church. It becomes from that real blood wash group to a backslidden Roman Catholic church in its infancy. And Brother Brandon said, you know, there, there they had a pope. There they had great men. They had cardinals. They dressed fine. They got away from the noise, from all the noise that they had, very quiet. And he said, it showed they were dying. Uh-huh, they were dying. So they got dignified and made, you know, they made a better body. They, first thing you know, they had the first the whole thing in a big ecclesiastical denomination, the, the Roman universal, that's Catholic church, um, in the dark age. And they, they had dignitaries and they had class. Now, so I want you to remember this is where that the, the Antichrist spirit wants to move you to, into formalism. Where church is just a ceremony, just a motion that you go through. Are you with me? Now, Brother Branham told us over and again, he said, everywhere you find God, you find a lot of noise. When he described uh, Jesus coming down the street and, and all the crowd screaming and blind Bartimaeus was sitting there, heard a noise coming. He said, it's strange wherever he's at, there's a lot of noise. He said, noise is a sign of life. And he goes immediately there to the worship there in the Old Testament when the priest would, would be robed and they would have on their garments a, a, a bell and a pomegranate all around the hems of their garment and said it tinkled and made a noise as he walked around into the holies of holies. And he said, that's, he said, the waiters, the people who were waiting on him to return out of that, they knew he was still alive. Because of the sound. And Brother Branham said, that's how we know that he's still alive is because of the sound of the worshipers. Hallelujah. They said, and where there ain't no noise, he might be dead. And that's what's the matter with a lot of our churches. There's not enough noise about it. Not enough enthusiasm. Amen. He said, everywhere Jesus is, there is noise. Amen. So one time he was going into Jerusalem. And they begin to scream out, you know, Hosanna to the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. And some of the priests were standing there and said, you know, keep them still. You know, they're making too much noise. Control your disciples. And he said, if they hold their peace, if they hold their peace, the rocks will cry out. Something has to move when he's around. Hallelujah. Amen. But you see, that pommel worm wanted to come along and he wanted to eat out brotherly love and he wanted to, he wanted to eat out that passion and, and respect. You know, respect. Respect isn't in the clothes we wear or the fine car that we drive or who makes the most money in the church. Respect ought to be the thing that we ought to want is a born again. Holy Ghost filled life. Somebody that is really spiritual. A son or daughter of the living God that is sold out for God. Yes, sir. Amen. 
Now, you see, it's a, it's a little bitty worm, but it comes in, and it comes in to make them dignified. So you, again, you remember, this is, this is exactly what wants to work upon the end-time people, is make them dignified. Don't want to be associated with them that might shout or scream or dance in the spirit or rejoice in truth. No, no, no. We, you know, we're a dignified group. You see, but you see, it was, that's what happened. It, it came in there and they said, well, what good? And I'm quoting Brother Brandon said, let's go back in history and see what the first thing was. It was a dignified group. God in amongst the common people. And they said, well, this is good that you can heal the sick and you can do these things. That wonderful. So you want to know what we ought to do? We ought to kind of get it out where the bigger class of people will understand it, the better class, the mayor, the judges, and so forth, the dignitaries of the city. And as long as you are all carrying on the way you are, they'll never come away around, come around you. They're afraid of you. And he said, they're afraid of the Holy Spirit. Again, he said in Balm and Gilead, he said, we ought to teach them Christ, but we're trying to get a better class among us. There's no better class of people than born-again Christians. They may be peculiar, act peculiar, look peculiar, dress peculiar, but they are peculiar people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, offering spiritual sacrifices, the fruit of our lips, giving praise to God, to his name. Now, so at first the church is in harmony. The Holy Spirit fell and there was great signs and wonders. And then as the believers testified to their masters and their employers and their other associates, and as these refined men of wealth came into the church with powerful, the men of powerful positions, they saw this, they too accepted Christianity. And there's a first mistake. They were added to the church by accepting Christian principles and the word of truth without the Pentecostal experience of God accepting them. You see, it isn't about accepting the message. It is God accepting you. Amen. Anybody can say, I believe the message. That's only being able to read. Anybody with just good logic can look there and understand there is no magic apple and no talking snake that brought the original sin. Come on. Amen. Anybody can see that. Just sit down for a minute and reason for a minute. Anybody just by reading the Bible without revelation at all should know to baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. Nobody was ever baptized any other way than that way. Amen. But you see, you see there, there again, these men embraced these truths, but they never got into a real new birth. So that's why it is so important that we don't just take in members. Amen. Because they say, I believe the message or because they have, have changes in their dress and they can conform to a certain dress code, amen, they must be born again. 
Otherwise, you wind up, like the Bible said, with a cage of error, unclean and hateful bird. They're caged because of bars. You know, if they leave, they go back to the world, they'll be lost. Well, they are lost. Without the Holy Ghost, you're not going in the rapture. Amen. We just got you in a cage. And the gospel's got to be more than just caging people. Amen. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, so the first mistake was, was, was being added to the church by accepting Christian principles and word of truth without the Pentecostal experience. If you'll look with me to Acts chapter 15 and verse 5, I want to read you something that a lot of times we just gloss over. There would be a real problem in the early church And that was because there was those Satan got in among many of them. And, and you know, to get them just to hold on to the laws of Moses rather than fully embracing. You know, they they wanted to hybridize the gospel. They just kind of wanted to uh, mix it with the Old Testament and New Testament, the two covenants, and and take the best of of both of them and kind of mix them together. So you see, again, in, Rebel, in Acts chapter 15, 5, there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed. Pharisees which believed. Let me say it again. Pharisees which believed, saying that it is needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, here were men in the New Testament church Elders in the church, amen, who were being presented that the Gentiles had been saved. And and he said there was a certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed. Now, wait a minute. Paul formerly was of the Pharisees. He said, I was, you talk about a Pharisee. He said, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Amen. But he said, I counted all that as dung that I might win Christ. But here you got in the New Testament church already those who have not embraced the cleansing of the new birth of the message and willing to die out to former thoughts and be cleansed from past confusion. Somebody with me now? Amen. And see now what God was doing in that hour, in that time. And they, they were lacking. I'm going to say it. They were lacking a real new birth. Because when Paul got it, he counted it as dung. But these were still esteeming this over the word itself. Follow my thinking now. So they, they had somehow bypassed the baptism of the Spirit. So they were still Pharisees. Amen. This is problematic today. We got too many denominational believers in the message. Let me just take it for a minute. Pentecostal Pharisees that can run around the building and screaming and shouting but can't see the truth of the open book because the seals are open and they can't see it. 
But oh yeah, do you know they can feel the spirit and they believe God sent a prophet and they're amazed at the healings and they talk about the miracles, but they themselves, you know, they can shout and run around, but they're not a letter, a letting the word to cleanse them. They're not coming to a death of the old and to be born into the new. You've got to receive the new birth according to Malachi 4 that turns your heart back to the faith of the fathers. Somebody with me? Amen. Then there's the Baptist Pharisees who claim to believe the book is open and embrace its theology, its beliefs, and they think that they have the Holy Ghost and they, you know, but you know, they just still need some kind of reformation to quit lustful habits and, and try to mix psychology with the word because what they have is powerful to transform them. So they do as other Pharisaic religions have done. They try to reform them by works instead of trans transforming them by birth. Amen. Understand, this message is not another reformation. This is a transformation. Amen. So Brother Branham told us in the second seal, he said, and then they began to invite the celebrity in. And the gallantry, to begin to see the gallantry, the miracles, the signs that these men done. So they too accepted it. And, and, you know, and he said, him, and, you know, to go down to a place where they're meeting in a little old dark, dingy hall and clap their hands and shout and speaking in tongues and get messages. Well, he can never take this to his business associates. He, he, he can never believe it that way. So he's got to dress it up. And so I want you to never forget. I want to grind it into your heart this morning. Amen. That never forget the true goal of the Antichrist spirit. Is that when he comes into church, he, is, he comes to defile it, making it lukewarm, formal, and powerless. Remember, church, he is after your power. He is after your worship. He wants to change it. Amen. He wants to refine it. He wants to conform it. And he wants to make you powerless. Now, by the second time church age had come up, the church was oozing with bitterness. Like it, when a bug bites on a plant, it oozes out crud from the wound and so by the second age it was oozing from the wounds and brother Branham told us in the second church age now we hadn't even reached the third where they formally organized but right now in the Smyrna church age second church age the church had begun to spring up a root of bitterness within it and he said what it was bitter against, it was bitter against those who wanted to continue on with the Holy Ghost. And the love faded away. And they were trying to swap it to creeds and denominations, getting away from the Holy Ghost leadership. And that's why bitterness was found in them. Think of that. Bitterness had come in them. Bitter to continue on with the Holy Ghost. The love had faded away. And I, I want you to remember this. They, they still had love. Let me tell you this. They still had love, 
loved formal, beautiful cane worship. Yes, you heard me right. Formal worship with class and ceremony is cane religion. Started in Genesis. Amen. Now, ceremony religion can come in all kinds of different flavors of traditions. It can come like cane with pomp and offerings of works, the fruit of the hands. You know, you know we, we do this for the poor and we do this is our program here and this is what we got going there. And we have our bus rides and we're, we have the food lines and you know, we have all kinds of works whereby we're saved. And it can come with all kinds of flavors of traditions with pomp and offerings of works. Don't want to get on nobody's toes here, but St. Jude raising all the money for all the little sick children. Good works. Good works. No salvation in it. Good works done by the whore. Good works helps little children. Good things come out of it. That's what Brother Branham told us. He said, the church's job is not building hospitals and, 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 and society things. He said, the, the church's gossip, uh, part is preaching the gospel, which means demonstrating the gospel. Amen. You know, you compare yourself to some good Baptist person who, who's full of all kinds of works and you say, well, I ain't in nothing of a Christian. Your works are greater works when they're works of the Holy Ghost that transformed your life and made a real child of God out of you. That's the works God is looking for with your faith. Now, but again, the fruit of the hands. It can come with great pomp, great offerings of works, or it can come with vile worship, with great shoutings and dancings and pleas to a dead God that doesn't answer by fire. Maybe you were chewing on what I said before. Let me go back over again. It can come in many forms. Ceremonial formal worship can come in many forms. It can happen like Cain with great pomp and offerings and a beautiful altar and, 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 a, and, a, and a perfect sacrifices of fruits and flowers and, you know, beautiful on like that. Or it can come like the worshipers of Baal there with, with great shoutings and dancings and pleas to a dead God that doesn't answer by fire. Any religion without the fire of God in it, is, are you ready for this? Any religion without the fire of God in it, a fresh vindication of baptism after baptism of the Holy Ghost is a formal or ceremonial religion. And if your religion did not come by fire coming down out from God, burning the sacrifice of your old self, it is still ceremonial worship. Now, 
Again, formal religion is when your religion just becomes ceremony and going through the motion of religion without the fire of God. Brother Bradham tells us in the message, Thirst, listen to this very carefully. And there is also just people who live upon the emotion. Some people say, well, we got a lot of that in, in our Pentecostal movement. And they go in, which is fine. They pat their hands. Brother Branham claps his hands. Play the music. And the music stopped. And a bucket of water just went over everything. He said, we got in a habit of doing that. It just becomes one of our customs. Let me tell you something. He said, when you're worshiping God in spirit and in truth, when it becomes a custom for you to do it because you think you ought to do it or because you think if you don't shout or jump up and down or dance with the music, your neighbor is going to think you're backslid, you are drinking from a stagnated stream. Until it fills every fiber, until the Holy Ghost itself is bubbling within you. Come on, church. We are not to be a cistern where you have to pump it up and work it up. Amen. It is to be a, a inward, an inward flow of bubbling up into everlasting life. It's not something that happens for you at church. It's something you bring to church. Hallelujah. Don't look for the church to be your well. Let the well be on the inside of you. Hallelujah. The Holy Ghost bringing up into everlasting life. Not just happening on church days. And I, need to, I need to pump up something. You know, we need a refreshing. Need to pump it up. Let's get it pumped up. No, it doesn't matter whether the battle's going on, whether there's trouble there where you couldn't pay the rent this month, or whether you're up or whether you're down. There's something on the inside of you that's bubbling over into everlasting life. Until every fiber, until the Holy Spirit itself is bubbling in you. I don't care whether the music is playing, whether they're playing near my God to thee or whatever it is. The Holy Spirit is still ringing the glory bells in your hearts. That's satisfied. That's God's satisfying portion. Anything less than that, you're done. So let's get it understand. We can take jumping and shouting and many have done it and make it ceremonial religion, just a ceremony. This is just what we do. This is our custom. And don't ever get to the place that you think that that's the only time that the Holy Spirit moves. It's when everybody jumps and shouts. The Holy Spirit is going to move in every service to every person that will let him. Amen. Sometimes the word might be teaching and you just sit there and you're sorry. Sometimes there's maybe tears just come down your face. Maybe just a hand raised to God. But whatever the Holy Spirit is moving and dealing with hearts. And don't you miss it. And 
Don't rely upon just some jump or shout, but look for the Holy Spirit to produce within you everlasting life bubbling over. Where it bubbles over on your job, you can't help but witness. Tell somebody what God did for you. Come on, church. Amen. Our testimony just goes out everywhere that we're at. But you know, people have left their first love. They left that first love for those old-fashioned Holy Ghost meetings begin to slide backwards to a formal. And formalism can come in many forms. Now, the first church, Brother Branham said, this bitterness started creeping in. Second church a little more. And finally, it creeped right in because they were making a better church than they thought they were. And so the early church becomes something dignified. Now, they didn't know it, but it was pulling the church to its death. And finally, it would form the Catholic church. I mean, that's how ritual, I mean, just one step at a time until they become that ritualistic. You know, then as Catholics, they had the formality. They had very dignified ceremony. You can't beat them. Stately, stately religion with pomp and pageantry or pageantry with the ministry turned into pope and cardinals and bishops and priests and nuns and altar boys. And if you, ever, if you ever watch them, you know, when a pope is elected and they come in for the crowning of him and all, all the pomp, all the ceremony, all the rituals, all the things, this is what the devil did step by step. Let me tell you, it doesn't take going all the way to Catholicism. One step away from the word is a step away from Christ. Amen. Now, so you see, we remember each church has had its formals and each church has had its spirituals. The twins that are born in every revival lives in every church. Keep that in mind. The twins born in every revival lives in every church. They started right in this age, ends up in this age, and finally the formals took over in the Thyatiran age, and, and Luther pulled it back out again, and now it's swinging right back in again. And you see that formal religion? There's no difference between that and Catholicism. Now, when you see a church that is formal in its worship, it is headed right back to Catholicism. It's being gathered to the whore. Are you with me? Amen. It is Nicolaitanism to conquer the laity, to take the worship of God and put all the pomp and the pageantry on the ministry. Now, they got away from that noise and everything. They were very quiet, showed they were dying. Uh-huh. They were dying, so they got dignified, made a better body. And the first thing up here, they had the whole thing in a big ecclesiastical denomination, the Roman Universal Church, Catholic Church in the Dark Ages. Then they had dignitaries. They had class. You know, we can become too formal. When we get too dignified to wash his feet, And become hysterical while doing it. Let me stop here. 
Brother Branham goes into the Laodicean age, and this is very serious, church, because this is our age and our messenger. And our messenger tells us, he says, as the original uh, olive branch was cut off, that's the Jews. He said they were cut off because they made, made and mocked, made fun and mocked what happened at a Pentecost. Said they were come out dancing and shouting and speaking in other tongues. And he said, they, the Jews, made fun of this, called it drinkers of new wine and mocked it. And he said, God cut them off and grafted in a wild olive tree, another branch in their place. He said, that was the Gentiles. And he said, now the gospel is going back to the Jews. And he said, once again, God will cut off the Gentile branch, the wild olive branch for making fun and ridiculing the upper room experience. And the gospel returned back to the Jews. This is where he says that Christ is rejected. And I want to tell you again, the last place he's going to be rejected is among message believers. Let me just get clear. In that, when he's speaking of that, and the lukewarmness, and what had happened, he talks about, he brings right back in his, his story of the woman washing Jesus' feet. And the Pharisees and the refusal to wash Jesus' feet. And he ties it right in to what will happen at the rejection of Christ in the end time. Because as you know, the Laodicean age rejects Christ. He's standing on the outside of their churches, knocking, trying to get back in. Oh God, we don't want him outside our church. We want him in this church. Amen. We don't want to just preach good sermons about him and sing songs about him and he's on the outside. We want him on the inside and we want to recognize him in our midst and we want to get away from our pride long enough to wash his feet. Hallelujah. And to what? Amen. Get hysterical about it. Let the tears flow. Let our hair dry it off. Amen. Let us come to the point we worship him again with all of our heart. As God said in that first age to, the, to Israel, when they said, laws, we want you to tell us what to do. Give us some laws. Tell us what to do, what don't do. He said, look, I don't want laws. I don't want obedience like that. What I want is somebody to love me with all their soul, with all their heart, with all their being. That's what God wants. Somebody to love him with everything, with a passion. You see, she got there in front of the Pharisees and began to wash his feet and got a little hysterical about doing it. Brother Branham said this, I remember when Jesus saved me. 
Oh, my, I'll never forget it. This old little old Kentucky heart of mine was jumping 90 miles an hour. I wept, I cried, I shouted. I didn't care who was standing around. I wasn't paying attention to order. I was in the presence of Jesus. I loved him. Said she wasn't noticing so much about the order she was in or how much she was out. The main thing was to get to Jesus. There he sat with dirty feet. He said without being kissed, he wasn't welcome and she wanted to make him welcome and she didn't care about their old pharisaical orders, about all their old traditions and nominations. She was pressing her way through to get to Jesus. He said, God, help us to have a revival again like that where men and women and they elbow their way through the crowds and denominations and the barriers till they get to the presence of Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh God, let there be a revival. Let that be the revival of evening like tabernacle of men and women elbowing their way through creeds, through their own pride, through their own ambition, whatever to get to Jesus, to get in his presence and wash his feet. Watch the dirt. I don't care if they call me Holy Roller, Pentecostal. Use any kind of slur name they want to. Let me wash his feet. Let me make him welcome. Kiss the son lest he become angry. God's going to get enough of this. He's going to take a bride into glory. Amen. And it's going to be little prostitutes like that that wash his feet. Come on, church. No, don't, don't pretend like you didn't come from there. Amen. You've been a prostitute if you just prostituted your time. Some of you have prostituted your time on video games and pornography and this and that and the other. That's prostitution. May be a different sort, but it's a prostitution. You may, uh, you may be clean otherwise, but I'll tell you what, once you come to Jesus and really get cleaned, we get too formal. And when we get formal, then the birth produces stillborn babies with dried-eyed confessions. I spoke on the fungi, the parasites, and the grain. And I want you to remember the earth god is, uh, is the fungus. One of the things that it does is produces stillborn babies. When it's mixed in the bread of life, the wheat, and it's, it's there and contaminates the, the bread, even no matter how you bake it, how you cook it, how you serve it up, you can serve it this way or that way or preach it this way and preach it. If you got earth god in it, it produces stillborn babies. Amen. It's a sign there. And let me tell you, when our religion becomes emotionless, it's time to bury it because it's a dead religion. You see, everything God has done, the devil has made a substitute for it. And, and it's, a, it's a bogus, you know, and, and that's the reason there are two spirits in the last days. They come around and one of them is a fundamental and the other is, the other is uh, you know, formal and, and, and fundamental that they miss the spirit altogether. And the other is the radical side that goes plumb off into isms. But stay right in the middle of the road. 
Come on. Amen. Yeah, I, I've seen plenty jump and shout and even have healings and miracles. And yet when it comes to the word, deny it. Refuse to go on into the truth. Amen. But you see, some of the radical side will go plumb into ism, but right in the middle of the road runs the true church of the God and standing in full and power of God. That's where it at. And everything that God has, though, Satan's got a counterfeit. So yes, you can become radical and too emotional. You can, you, you can be like the priest of Baal and, and, and shout and scream and it just be empty noise without real fire. But there is much greater danger. I want you to understand. There, you know, that's not really our danger. Our, our danger isn't becoming radical. Our danger is becoming cold, starchy, and lukewarm. That's the burden of this age. It isn't becoming overzealous. It's not having, being zealous to repent. There's got to come a zeal with it. Now, as we look at this, nothing should stop or hinder you in your pursuit of God. You should lay aside every weight, the sin, the unbelief that so easily besets you. This is why people don't, don't make it all the way to the end, fall short of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They're not willing to lay aside weights. Now, you see, the Bible said in Hebrews 12 that we are compassed with a great cloud of witnesses. Now, these cloud of witnesses showed us how that miracles are done by faith. Keep that in mind now. Amen. What we're seeing, we're compassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses. He's supposed to, by faith Enoch, by faith Abel, by faith Noah, by faith, by faith, by faith, all of these by faith, that they, they produce miracles by faith. And then he said, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that does so easily beset us. You see, we stop too short. We're stopping to tolerate with the world. We're stopping to see if we're not getting a little bit too emotional. I'm afraid, I'm afraid to really press through. I'm afraid to really give my all. I'm scared. And Brother Bradley said, we're stopping too much to see if we don't get a little bit fanatically. I'm scared of, I'm more afraid of the person that's afraid than I am the person that's a fanatic. That's right. I'd rather have a little wildfire than no fire at all. Sure, I would. I'd rather be around a fire that's popping and jumping anytime uh, if the world is cold than to be around an iceberg. Certainly, don't paint a fire. You can't get warm by a painted fire. You've got to have some real fire. Not what, uh, not what the apostles done, the Holy Ghost in the apostles. Because the same Holy Ghost is to, today is let's move Let's move on. So here's the whole thing he's pointing out to. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather have wildfire than no fire. But at the same time, I say, why do we want wildfire when we can have the real fire? Amen. Maybe sometimes somebody does get a little bit out of order. The Holy Spirit knows how to bring that back in. Amen. Come on, church. Let's not be so worried about that. Let's just, let's just get in the spirit. Let's let the Holy Ghost move. Let him ignite the word that is in us. 
We have had 57 years of teaching. Amen. Of laying the mechanics in and examining every part and every, every piston and, and seeking every bit of it and gauging every, make sure everything's right. It's time there's some dynamics to come to the mechanics and make that car run down to healing, run down to deliverance, run down to real salvation, run down to baptism of the Holy Ghost, run down to every divine promise of God. Why do we want to sit around and polish a car that won't run? I'm sorry. But we got all of some old antique of a 65-year model. And we want to polish that when you're to be new in Christ. Amen. What good does it do to polish the hubs when it won't run? Brother Brandon said, what good would it do to give it a Simonized job? You may not know what that is, but Simonized was a product that had enough grit in it there to just kind of get the dull edge off of the paint and make it pop out again. What good does it do to make it shine if there's no real gospel in it? Amen. He talks about the maniac of Gadara, how that Jesus would leave a, a big crowd and go across the sea because he heard the cry of a, one of his children. Somehow the legion had sat back that day in, in all of his madness and in his insanity and in his anger, his frustration and his helplessness and laid back and brushed his head in the tomb, come down, come to himself long enough just to say, God, help me and went back into his madness. And that little cry was heard all the way across the sea. You see, it ain't how loud you can cry, you can't holler him down. But if you got a heart that wants to know him, the slightest cry, he'll reach down to you. He'll cross the sea. He'll come out of heavens. He'll do whatever he has to do, but he's going to find you. He's not going to leave you in your sins. Hallelujah. He won't leave you in your backslidden chain position, but he'll make a real son or daughter of God out of you. Maniac just cried out for a moment. God help me. And across the sea, God's having a meeting. He's in the man Christ Jesus. There wasn't two of them. God's not one like your finger. And he's not two like two fingers. And he's not three like three fingers. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. So it's not like a finger. God was in Christ reconciling the world himself. So as he did there, he comes across and of course, when there's a soul that really needs saving, the devil's gonna be there to do everything he can to stop it. 
So here he comes with this poison breath of, and he begins to, you know, create winds and waves and everything else and it looks like they're going to be destroyed and, 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 you know, the devil will do everything to try to keep you from your promise. I just want to tell you, if that's where you are today, keep sailing on. Don't turn back. Don't turn away from it. Keep sailing on. Keep moving on toward the promise. Are you with me? And Jesus rose up and calmed the winds and the waves, and immediately they were at shore. I'm going to tell you something. Some of you are right in this middle of the storm you're in, right there on the cusp of your victory. The moment that you realize that Jesus is in this boat and you call out, Lord, help me, I perish. Amen. He's coming in your boat and speaking through you to that storm. Come on, somebody. And immediately, you'll be the shower. I'm telling you, it ain't that far away. Your victory isn't that far away. Amen. Your your problem ain't that hard. Your prodigal ain't that far away. Immediately. Amen. Immediately, your children are going to be saved. Immediately, healing's coming to your body. Immediately, God's going to restore your marriage. Immediately, he's going to fill you with the Holy Ghost. Immediately. We're putting it a million miles away. It ain't a million miles away. It's right here. The moment you realize Jesus is in your boat, you can call on him. But he gets there. He gets there and meets the maniac. You know, people get upset about details. You know, well, Brother Branham said 500 here, and he said 5,000 here, and he said, Brother Branham didn't count them. He just simply used an illustration. It was a big crowd. Large number. Might not have been 200, but it's a big number to him. So he might have said in one place 10,000, another place five. He's a liar. He's no liar. The Bible's not a liar either. Amen. You know, in one, in one gospel, he said there was one maniac, and the other gospel said there was two of them. Well, one noticed one, and that what stood, stood out to him. The other said, well, there was another one come up too, and he also got delivered. Okay. Amen. Why do you you want to find fault with God? The maniac got delivered. Amen. People want to argue about the cloud. I don't care. Amen. It don't make no difference about your reasoning and your argument. All I know is when Brother Branham told it, Edmund Way raised from the dead. It didn't offend God. People get caught up in all kinds of unbelief. Well, they had one account over here where this man said this is the way it was and Brother Branham said this way when that boy in Finland there raised up from the dead. I don't care. The point is he raised. That's what I care about. A boy that was dead raised up from the dead. How can you argue with that? 
come on. You want to say, well, I found this flaw here. I don't care what kind of flaws you found. I know what it did for my life. I know how it changed me. I know what it does when it gets a hold of young people and changes their lives. I know the kinds of moms and dads it makes. I know the kind of church it creates. I know what it does. So I really don't care. Hallelujah. If one saw one and the other saw two, I said, well, praise God, there was two of them and got delivered. More than I thought. Don't get caught up in things. Let things hinder your faith. You got to be persevering in this hour. You know, some knuckleheads have wrote me about, you know, I'm sorry, I have some more choice words for this. That's just a, that's just a, a mild one. They write me and say, you know, you, you lied to the people saying the eagle stirs their nest. Eagles don't stir their nest, and they don't do this. They don't do that. I don't care. I don't care if Mr. Google or Miss Google, probably she's Miss because she knows everything. I don't care if Miss Google says that there's never been an eagle anywhere that stirs her nest. The Bible said as an eagle stirs her nest and, 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 and hovers over her young. I really don't care what Miss Google says. I care what the Bible said and it's the point anyway and the point is God is stirring his church. I'm sorry, I had to get that off my chest. It's been burning a long time. God saved them knuckleheads. I was one once too. But Jesus saved me. If you get saved, you won't be a knucklehead. That's what I say. Brother Tim, you call me a Judas. You don't think the difference between you and Judas? You can change. You may have been a Judas, a betrayer, but you don't have to remain that. And if the word called you a Judas, I'd just say, Lord, I've been a Judas. Forgive me of what I've been, but change me and make me a real son of God. That's what I would do. Whatever the word said, just agree with it and go on. If the word said, I've been too starchy, I've been too formal, I've been too backslidden, I've been too lukewarm, then say, God, that's what I've been. I've been too lukewarm, too formal, too starchy. I'm gonna be on fire for you. Fill me with the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Well, the maniac of Gadara. You know, them, them guys were hog raisers. It was against the Jewish, the Jewish law to raise hogs. They had to eat the hogs. They were, they were unclean. And Jesus goes there and and he heals this man of Gadara and cast out those devils. Oh, I can imagine. 
I can just imagine how it was when he, when he approached him. And here, that man of Gadara comes up, the maniac comes up and looks in the eyes of Jesus for the first time. He said, I've seen you somewhere. I've seen you somewhere before. I see something in those eyes that others, you know, religious men couldn't see. Amen. I see the almighty God in there. What do you have to do with me, thou son of God? He saw God in Jesus. Somebody help me preach. Oh, let it be that God can be seen in your life by every maniac. We got a lot of crazies in the world today. Let God be seen so real in your life until they see Jesus staring back at them. Let it be that way. Jesus in your life. Jesus in your heart. Jesus in your work. The old fellows there, you know, they had raised these hogs and he said, they pleaded with him, said, don't, don't cast us, don't just cast us out, but cast us into those herds of swine. Let us go in that. And Jesus said, go. And here a bunch of animals got, got devils in them. They ran over and committed suicide. Some of you blondies will get that tomorrow. But they committed suicide. So nevertheless, you know, here, it upset those hog raisers. Think about it. They had their hogs and their slop pens, and then they had devils all around them, maniacs in tombs, and they felt more comfortable with devils than they did when Jesus was there. And Brother Branham tells us, he said, that is when you see, you see the very same thing. He said, they, they are more comfortable, said, like these morgues today, they're more comfortable with demons that don't interfere with their living than they are with the lovely Jesus being in their midst. Well, I'll tell you, I don't care about hogs. Amen, I don't care about the living. I care that Jesus is welcome. That Jesus, amen, is, is the one. We want you to stay here, Jesus. We're not gonna tell you to leave our country because you ruined our living. Let me tell you, Jesus, get in your life. He'll ruin your tobacco habits. He'll take your skull out of your back pocket and throw it away. Amen. He'll take that drunkenness out of your life. He'll take those adulterous spirits out of your life. Come on. He'll take those demons out of your life and cast them out in the outer darkness. That's what Jesus will do. I tell you what, you ought to be more comfortable with having Jesus around. There's more than maniacs. There's a lot of other demons we need to get rid of. Demons of pride and man's ambition and man's desire. And let Jesus have the right of way in the church. Big formal church today. Let two or three people get a shout in praising God. Somebody give a message in tongue or somebody get healed with the power of God or God give a vision that freezes them to death. I don't want nothing like that going on around. See, better home with the devils than to have lovely Jesus around. And I just quoted from your prophet. 
Well, when did, you, when did he say that? When he was a prophet. He said, you preach like that to them and they just sit like a wart on a pickle. Just as sour and cold as they can be. Nobody would say amen or nothing and just sit there and freeze down. And, oh, uh, something freeze down. So I wish he'd quit. He's been up there 15 minutes now. When he's going to stop? And he said, and if you want to know truthfully, some of these old cold formal churches that has the form of godliness and denies the power thereof are real hangout for devils. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, there's the thing. We don't want to become a hangout for the devil. But you know what he'll do? He'll come like with a vine of formalism and wrap around you like a creeper around a, a, real, a real stalk of corn. Nothing's wrong with the corn. It's genuine corn. You say, I'm genuine grain. Could be. But if you let a creeper get around you a formalism, it'll pull you right down and warp you. And you sit there in a dwarfed and warped position and unfruitful. Come on. Amen. This time we take the grub and hoe and get rid of those choking spirits that want to choke back the movement of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You, oh, yeah, I, I know you, you may not like what I'm going to say right now, but, you know, you and your, in the mezzanine have a harder time. Amen. Don't let it separate you getting there in the mezzanine and you just become an observer instead of a participator. Brother Brandon said about the balconies, God seldom moves there. So you know what that means? You're going to work, have to even work harder to get in the spirit, to stay focused in, to pull on the gift of God and rejoice. Amen. Come on, church. Amen. Well, we all work together as a body of believers in one mind, in one accord. I'm here when I'm on the front row or the back row or up in the mezzanine. I'm here to watch his feet. I'm here to give him glory. I'm going to press him, elbow my way in. I'm going to get there, but I got to get to Jesus. Hallelujah. That don't mean you're backslid. If that's where you're sitting this morning, it just simply means you got to work harder. You and the sick babe back there, you got to work harder. You got to press in a little more. Don't let it get distance between you and Jesus. Amen. Enter into his courts with praise. Amen. Come into his house with thanksgiving. Give your all every time you come to church. Amen. Because it's not a custom to you. It's not just a habit of yours, but it's a genuine fire burning on the inside that longs to be in the presence of the living God. Amen. Amen. Now, Brother Branham tells us, he tells us that there will be creepers come in the form of science, research, education, doctor's degree. Yes, I'm going to tell you, even psychology and all kinds of unbalanced approaches of the spirit without word or word without spirit. See, both of them are wrong. And they've both invaded our pulpits. Amen. 
the Easter seal, Brother Branham said that our seminaries, our schools are putting out a bunch of rickies with a whole lot of theology and entertainment and everything in the church to take the place of the prayer meeting. We took dress and tried to fulfill what the modernists try to do to bring them in. You can never win them by that. They got more of that than you have. You, can, you got no business on, on their ground. Let them come over yours where the real baptism is shining, where the real power of the resurrection. And then he warns us, don't try to build a church like theirs. Don't try to have a pastor like that. Don't try to do this or other or incorporate with the world. They shine with Hollywood. The real gospel glows with power. Eagles hear that. They don't look for shine. They look for a glow. Glowing with humility. Glowing with love. Glowing with power. That's what the real eagle hunts. You can't scratch in a barnyard and please him. He'll never be able to do it. You can never tell him that because he don't believe it. Let that voice scream from heaven. I am he that was dead and am alive forever again. As something to take place. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. It shall come to pass in the last day. I'll pour out myself upon all flesh. Glory to God. I'll quicken your language. I'll quicken your mortal tongues. I'll give you the evidence that I'm going to bring you in the resurrection with me. Hungry-hearted eagles reach for that just as hard as they can. It's the pearl of great price. They sell everything else to go by. What does he say? Don't try to build a church like theirs. We do not need programs educating our young men on how to restrain from sexual immorality we need the Holy Ghost do not borrow from them their psychology from science or from the religions that are trying that to try to reform their people this is not a reformation it's a transformation Come on for crying out loud. What in the world are we doing today? We're trying to have a church like them. We don't need a church like them. We don't need psychology. We don't need, come on now, listen to me. You don't need teaching on why that sex sins are immorality. My goodness, nature itself tells you that's wrong comes and gives you the wrong feeling every time. You know it's not right. Your own conscience tells you that it's wrong. We, it's not that we need to know it's wrong. We need to know what to do to fix it. And the way we get it fixed is a born again experience that changes your nature. Not conforms your mind. We'll have so many steps program. And now you know you'll be better at this. You'd be more equipped at facing the devil. I'll tell you what, get the Holy Ghost and that'll equip you. It'll put the sword, the word of God in your hand, give you the shield of faith. Amen. It'll put a breastplate of righteousness on you and a helmet of salvation and, and shod your, your feet with, a, with, a, with the gospel of peace. Amen. 
So don't try to have a pastor like them. He said, he warns us, don't try that. Don't try to bring Phariseeism into the message. Phariseeism comes with its formalism. It's formal worship. It's a dry-eyed confession. It's just a confession of, I believe the message. I've got the Holy Ghost. That's not what happened in the upper room. They, they didn't say, you know, look around and say, well, you know, do you believe, Peter, do you believe the message of Jesus? Yes, I believe it. Absolutely, I believe the message. You know, what, what about you over here? John, do you believe the message of Jesus? Well, I say, buddy, we believe already we got the Holy Ghost. You know, we, now that was good Baptist tradition. Come on, that was good Phariseeism. But it wasn't what the word said. The word didn't say, stay there till you believe. He said, you gather in the upper room because you believe me until you are endued with power. Until how long? You are endued with power. How long do we stay, Lord, till you're endued with power? How, about, how many times do I need to go to the altar until I'm endued with power? How many times do I have to pray through till I'm endued with power? Whatever, until you're endued with power from on high. Then you're witnesses. Otherwise, you are talking about somebody else met him. But when you met him for yourself, you are the witness. I met him. I saw him. I experienced. He's alive. He's not dead. He is resurrected. He's my God. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. You become a witness. You see, that's what God wanted to restore the church to, to becoming a witness. So, you know, the parasite comes along, takes off brotherly love, the, the love that the brothers had for the Spirit of God. That, that's what made them brothers. Amen. And, and they had in common the love, not just for one another. Listen, you can belong to a bowling team and have, have camaraderie and love for your buddies. You can belong to a soccer club. You, you can belong to the athletic society or the basketball team and have love for your fellow mates and your friends. And that's not brotherly love. What makes brotherly love in the church? We're born again by the same spirit of God and we have a love in common for him and that makes us recognize he's God and we are brothers. Amen. And we just love to get in his presence. We love our father. We love him when he comes around. We love to worship him. That's brotherly love. Come on, not this greasy, grimy, camaraderie stuff, but it's what I'm talking about is a love for God in the hearts and lives of men and women. That's real brotherly love. Love is the first fruit on the tree. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, faith, patience, and the Holy Ghost. Now, remember, the bride is a supernatural people, and to, to have, to, to be that, she has to be a, have a supernatural birth. And Brother Branham tells us clearly, I believe that any man that's born of the supernatural spirit believes in the supernatural. We got a supernatural resurrection. Don't y'all believe the resurrection? Was super, it wasn't just made up, wasn't a dream, wasn't an imagination, it happened, right? It was supernatural, wasn't it? We, had a, we have got a supernatural heaven. We have a supernatural 
um, rapture. The rapture is not going to be me and you getting ourselves by the bootstraps and jumping over the moon. Come on, it won't be something you can do physically. It's a supernatural experience. So everything is built around the supernatural. And when a man or woman is born of the Spirit of God, they are supernatural. You just can't help it. Amen. Because you, you know, you were, you're born natural, but when you're born again, you're supernatural. Amen. And, and of course, you can't help it because you're a son or a daughter of God. Amen. So, you see, that's the reason we got so many cold, formal, backslidden, indifferent, God-forsaken churches. It's because men and women are not born of the Spirit of God. They have no taste for God. They know nothing about God. All they know is theology. Amen. So, you see, you can't get them to believe anything. So, you can't get them to believe for divine healing, miracles, signs, wonders, gifts of the Spirit. Anything promised in the Bible, oh, that's, they're still stripped. Now, one of the things that the insects took off was the bark. And through the bark comes the lifeline. And the bark is the doctrine. So one of the things that God would restore was the doctrine. Amen. But I've seen plenty of trees that were dead had all the bark on them. They have no leaves, no buds, no fruit. There's a lot of things missing. Oh, you say, we got the doctrine. That's just the bark. And Brother Brandon said when the insects ate the bark, he said they would replace it with a rag. He said, for example, he said they took water baptism away by immersion and replaced it with the rag of sprinkling. They took the, the, the truth of the Godhead and one baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and replaced it with titles, a rag of titles, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Somebody with me? And he said the Holy Spirit will not flow through the rags. Amen. It stops up the flow of the spirit so it becomes dead. Are you with me? A lot of the doctrine that people have even around the message is nothing but the rag of somebody's idea of some personality cult leader. Come on. Amen. I'll tell you, friend, we want more than that. I believe the doctrine has been restored. Amen. I believe the truth has been brought back to the church. Come on, church. He didn't need some apostle or some, or some teacher or some this or that to help him do it. Amen. Restoration came through a prophet because the only way the bark can be restored is through a prophet. Somebody help me preach. You know that. Amen. The word of the Lord comes to a prophet. So if doctrine's a word of the Lord, then it had to be restored through a prophet. Amen. But don't tell me about your restoration and there's no gifts of the Spirit. There's no divine healing. There's no miracles in the church. There's no rejoicing. There's no leaves there that clap their hands and rejoice and move in the winds of the Spirit. There is nothing there but just a bare tree with bark on it. And that's the way many message churches are sitting today. Just a bunch of trees. We got the bark. And you're dead. Dead, dead, dead. Not a bud on you. 
backslidden. No move of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God began to move and you just groan. And we have to go through that again. Listen, that's part of what was restored. I want you to understand, we are not just in the day, we're not in the day where, where they're eating it away. We're in the day where God's restoring. Amen. Don't you stop short. Come on. Amen. Say, he got the bark. Well, what about the leaves? What about miracles? What about signs? What about wonders? So, well, we want the character of Christ, Brother Jim. His character is shown in miracles and supernatural and healing and deliverance and being alive among his people. The resurrected one, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's how he shows I'm alive, I'm not dead. I was dead, but behold, I am alive forevermore. Fungus on the grain. Now, the genuine seed of God is resistant to the fungus. I want you to know, before we go any further, you are a predestinated people. That's right. Your destiny has been set. God has decreed and declared, I'm not planting this church. I'm taking her in a rapture. She's going in the barn. This crop is not going to be planted like the first grain was planted. This one will be raptured. You are, let me just say it, predestinated to a rapture. You are predestined. Listen, God has set the perimeters of the ages, and he, he didn't stop with, he didn't, he didn't go on to eight. He didn't go to an eighth messenger. He didn't go beyond the prophet of this age. Come on, somebody. He didn't go beyond the Laodicean church age, and, and we're now over in eternity somewhere, and you know, in the eighth day, he didn't go there. Keep it straight. The eighth day is on the other side of the millennium. We ain't had the seventh one yet. Come on. Amen. We are here in, we are here in the, the last day of man, which is the sixth day, about to enter into the seventh day, which will be the millennial reign. After millennium comes the eighth day, the great eternity ahead. You know, don't preach to me. We're already there, Brother Tim. We're not already there. You know, don't tell me we're already in our new bodies. You're not in your new body. I can look at it, you and tell you're not in your new body. You wouldn't get wore out from just a few hours of preaching if you were in a new body. Your bones ache. Your face is showing it. Your age is showing what, you know, your, your age is even showing in your face. You know you don't have a new body. Let's quit pretending. Come on. Amen. We, we're not there. We are here in the sixth day of man about to go into the millennium and then will come the eighth day of the eternities. So, well, glory to God, Brother Tim, I'm already there. I'm in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, you're not really that unique. The first age was there too. Paul said, he had made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, I'm here. It's happened in my soul. Yeah. You know, there, 
There's a, there's a lot of things happening in your soul that ain't happening in your body yet. Change happens. I'm going to preach one of these services on the change happening from the inside out. Amen. That's where it starts is on the inside. Amen. Works his way on the outside. Even Sarah, I'll just jump ahead for a minute. Sarah had to do the same. She had to have a change inside before it could work outside. Amen. So again, you see, again, here, here we are. We, we are here in the seventh church age. We are out of time. There's not another age to come. God has set the destiny. He said there would be seven church ages, and we are now running in overtime. Somebody help me preach. But let me tell you in the rapture message, he said the bride would be raptured from the seventh church age. So as long as we're here, there's going to be overcomers. Hallelujah. Overcoming that Laodicean lukewarm, formal spirit. Moving in the spirit of God. Hallelujah. So, yes, we're resistant. We're resistant because when you receive the Holy Ghost, you're resistant to the parasites. Let me tell you something else. When you go through the Red Sea of the blood of Jesus, like was with uh, Miriam and Moses and Aaron, when, and the children of Israel went through the Red Sea, it typed the blood of Jesus. The parasites, those there, the slave masters before couldn't follow through. Somebody help me preach. Couldn't go with them on the other side. You see, that's the, that's the cleansing that the Holy Spirit does by the blood. Amen. Hallelujah. And they looked back and they saw their old taskmasters dead. Amen. There floating in the water and underneath the horses and everything else underneath. And they looked back and said, they are dead. We're still living. The things that once held me no longer hold me anymore. And it caused them to sing a new song and to dance in the spirit. I tell you what, if you ever walk through the sin blood of Jesus Christ and it wipes out the sin and the unbelief out of your life, it'll cause you to take a tambourine and dance in the spirit too. Hallelujah. But yes, we are resistant. We have been predestinated not to fall. Brother Branham tells us in Christ, the mystery of God revealed, we are predestinated not to fall. The first church, Eve was predestinated. It was her destiny. He made her where she could fall. He makes this bride where you cannot fall. How does he do that? By giving you the seal of the Holy Ghost. That seals you to the day of redemption, to your body change. Don't you see what I'm talking about? You have been predestinated to adoption. The change of your body. And adoption also in a secondary sense, or its first sense really, is your adoption is when you recognize God as your father by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. 
and you're adopted and placed in the body of Christ with the power and the authority and to be able to write in his name and feel your checkout. And, amen. Amen. Tell the devil to get off of your property. Amen. Because you're no longer a little child no more. You're a full-fledged daughter or son of the, the living God. Is somebody with me? Amen. That you can stand there with the authority to cast Satan out. That's where the church stands. So we're going to resist him. We're going to resist him in a similar way as Brother Branham told us in the church age book. If the people can get the true revelation of the true church and what she is and what she stands for and then that she can do the greater works, she will be an invincible army. Stop for a moment. If you get the true revelation, we got to get the true revelation. We're the people to finish this. As I've been preaching 180 times, we are the people of the book. This is our inheritance. Wouldn't a thousand quadzillion times, 180 times. You see, he knows if he can get the true, if we can get the true revelation, it can ever get down in your heart. We are not going to fail. We are the people of the rapture. Rapture itself means ecstasy. Hallelujah, the shout. Amen. The shout of the king on the inside of you. It's an ecstasy. You're just overcome with emotion. You think I get overcome now? Wait till the dead in Christ rise. You ain't never seen anybody dance out, speaking tongues and everything else. Amen, like I will that day. You just wait until I see my new clothes. You just wait until I'm adorned and have a body like his old glorious body. You ain't seen nothing yet. If you can get the revelation that of who you are, that you are a devil feeder, defeater, you are a serpent bruiser, you are the overcomer, that you cannot be defeated, you are the child of the most high God. If you can ever get in your heart, you will become an invincible army, and the devil won't know what to do with you. Oh, become that people that the devil don't know what to do with. And then you must discern and withstand that antichrist spirit that is hovering over you trying to make you lukewarm, cold, and formal. I say this morning, withstand it. I say discern it. Realize it is there trying to pull me down. I am not that. I'm a child of the most high God. Let the musicians come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Is there anybody else can say hallelujah? We overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. Hallelujah. You know what was the difference between David and Saul? David had a revelation. God has anointed me to be king. God has anointed me to be set on the throne. He has poured the anointing oil on me. 
I haven't sat on that throne yet. So I know Goliath that's in my way has got to come down. Hallelujah, because I have already been seen sitting on the throne, anointed over my enemies. So Goliath, you're coming down, you dirty dog of cancer, you dirty dog of disease, you dirty dog of habit, you dirty dog, your head's coming off this day. I will be victorious over you because I have been anointed. You are not predestined for defeat. In the battle you're going through, you are not predestined for defeat. You have been anointed to discern and withstand the Antichrist spirit, and Satan is powerless before you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why don't the redeemed of the Lord say so then? That's me, God. Amen. That's my revelation. I'm a child of the Most High God. I'm an overcomer in this age. I am more than a conqueror through him that loved me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Come on, just wave your hand to God. Yes, wave your hand. Waves of glory now. We're not working up anything. We're just trying to get you to come into courts with thanksgiving. To his courts of praise. Say, thank you, Lord. You have made me more than a conqueror. You have made me an overcomer. You have made me. You have predestinated me. Hallelujah. God has set my destiny for the Holy Ghost and all his power. God has set my destiny to be or that I can go through the Red Sea and all, all the demons of hell dead behind me. He hath anointed me to preach. The good tidings is you're no longer bound. Every promise of God is yours. Walk in that freedom. Just love him with all your heart right now. Just love him. Just love him. Praise the Lord.